Uh, If you would, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 8? We'll be in verses 26 through 40 uh, this morning as we continue in our uh, series through the book of Acts, uh, plotting through paragraph by paragraph, uh, witnessing as it unfolds the expansion of the gospel uh, in the early church. If you're able, would you stand with me as we read from God's Word, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. I'll be reading from the ESV translation. The session recently made a decision to uh, move to this translation as our uh, translation for worship as a reliable and readable translation. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would now, by your Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts and minds, that we would understand the word that we have read, that you would lay it up in our hearts, and that we might practice it in our lives Would you bear fruit in us from your word? We pray that in all things we would see Jesus, for we ask it in his name. Amen. This passage is a passage about the welcome of God, the welcome of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, He is the God, in a word, who welcomes the previously unwelcomed. Uh, In the Gospels, we often see Jesus doing this very thing. We see him welcoming those on the fringe, welcoming those on the outside, whether on the outside of society in general or certainly on the outside of uh, Jewish culture and faith. 
we see Jesus welcoming those who are unwelcome. He eats with the tax collectors and the sinners, the ritually unclean, the morally impure, the outsiders. They are all, uh, they're drawn to Jesus as he lives and teaches and proclaims the kingdom of God. These are the people who are flocking to him in vast numbers. In one instance that Luke tells us about, uh, a prostitute worships Jesus with an extravagant display of love for him, while a seemingly upright Pharisee balks at both her actions and the fact that Jesus allows it. Yet Jesus says that the woman who does this extravagant act of worship, showing her love for him, that she acted properly because she knew the depth of her sin and how much she had been forgiven. And because she had been forgiven much, she loved much. Her love for Jesus was great because she knew that although she was previously unwelcome, Jesus was welcoming her into God's kingdom as he forgave her sins. As Luke continues to tell us the story and acts of the early church, this is a major theme that he keeps coming back to. Jesus, through his church, welcoming the unwelcome, welcoming the outcast. He is the one who brings them in. Uh, it started in Jerusalem. In Israel, or in Jerusalem rather, Israel is restored through faith in Jesus, the crucified and risen Messiah, the promised one who had finally come. We've read recently how the religious leaders in Jerusalem violently reject this message by killing Stephen, um, one of the first deacons, the first Christian martyr. Uh, and as they reject it, the welcome mat, if you will, kind of moves from Jerusalem, begins to unroll in other places, particularly going uh, into the area of Samaria. And there we saw a few weeks ago this heretical and idolatrous outcast group of Samaritans Again, brought in, brought into the church, brought into the people of God through faith in Jesus, the promised Messiah. And at the heart of these encounters with the people in Jerusalem, with the people in Samaria, at the heart of these encounters is the good news of Jesus, that through Jesus, through his righteous life on our behalf, through his giving of himself at the cross as a sacrifice for sins, through his glorious resurrection as the confirmation of God's promises fulfilled, sinners from among all types of people, from among all peoples, can be forgiven and brought into fellowship with the living God through faith in Jesus. And that message keeps getting clearer and clearer. It's kind of like Luke is just a one-note Johnny. He's just hitting this note over and over again. Doesn't matter where they are. Doesn't matter what city they're in. Doesn't matter who's preaching. That's the message, that Jesus is welcoming people into his church as they trust in him. The message gets clearer and clearer through the steady progress of the good news. And here we see it, uh, in particular, with an Ethiopian eunuch. And the next week with another outcast, Saul of Tarsus. We see then that through the gospel, Jesus is welcoming the previously unwelcomed. And that really is the main point of, of this part of the book of Acts, of this, this passage that we've read this morning, that through faith in Jesus, there's forgiveness, hope, and welcome, belonging for the outsider. And to see this, let's look first uh, at the previously unwelcomed person in this story, and then we'll ask, how is it 
that Jesus is welcoming those who were previously unwelcomed. Luke brings this message home with this unique interaction between Philip uh, and a man who's described as an Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, In a sense, as we'll see, this, this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, is kind of the ultimate unwelcomed person. He's the ultimate outsider. And we see this in uh, a, a couple of ways. First, we see this because he's a foreigner. He's not Jewish. Uh, the Samaritans weren't Jewish, but they were kind of half Jewish. Uh, this, this Ethiopian eunuch is kind of the first installment of the gospel going out to fully non-Jewish people, going out to uh, the Gentiles. But before it kind of gets to a massive group of Gentiles, there's this unique interaction, one-to-one, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. He's a, he's a foreigner. He's not Jewish. He's from the distant land of Ethiopia. Now, in, in the Bible, uh, Ethiopia in the Old Testament particularly is often called Cush. So you read through kind of these tables of nations and descriptions of uh, all the nations in the Old Testament. Ethiopia is described as Cush. Uh, but it's not exactly our modern-day Ethiopia, Uh, It's a kingdom south of Egypt, kind of along the the Red Sea, in the area that today would include Ethiopia uh, and modern-day Sudan, as well as some other areas in Africa. This this man represents the fulfillment of Jesus' promise that his disciples would carry his witness to the ends of the earth. Ethiopia in the Bible is kind of thought of as it's out there. <laughs> it's the outskirts. It's the ends of the earth. It's an incredible distance away from Jerusalem. But you have to know that uh, in the scriptures, foreigners or Gentiles were uh, forbidden t- from entering into the main part of the Jerusalem temple. They, they couldn't go all the way in to where the rest of the, the Jews could go. And so that means that while, while this man could be a convert, he could believe in the things taught at this point under the the old covenant in the old testament uh, he never could be fully in the group he, he couldn't be fully brought in because not only is he a foreigner but the second thing that makes him an outsider is that he is a eunuch uh, it's a little uncomfortable he's been physically castrated This was a common thing to do, believe it or not, among court officials in ancient times. Think about it. They would uh, uh, perform this operation of castrating a man. And then in some sense, it was a way for them to secure devotion and trustworthiness among royal court officials. So this man is physically castrated, and as a result... Uh, I say physically because there's kind of metaphorical eunuchs that, that doesn't apply here. But he's, he's, as a result of this, he's considered physically deformed and therefore ritually unclean. And there's nothing he can do about it. Uh, there's, there's no reversal of that. There's no extra step that he can do that can kind of undo his status as being ritually unclean. He is so by virtue of this physical issue. And so therefore, according to the Old Testament... This man is actually forbidden from even, even gathering with the people of God for worship. You can read this in Deuteronomy 23, kind of the laws of the assembly of the people of God. It includes eunuchs as those who were outside of the assembly of God. They couldn't gather with the people of God to worship. He is an outsider. 
He's an ultimate outsider. There's nothing he can do that can remove that status under the Jewish law. And yet, he's gone to Jerusalem to worship, all the while being forbidden from drawing near to God in the temple. Yet in spite of these two strikes against him, he is a spiritual seeker. He's a worshiper of the true God, and he's clearly seeking to understand more about who this God is. Just consider the sheer distance he has traveled to go to Jerusalem, to go near the temple at least, even though he couldn't enter all the way in. This is an incredible uh, traveling amount of traveling that he has done. This is a trip that would have taken around two months, one way, just to get from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. Uh, and that doesn't even really include like stopping along the way for a little bit of a break. That's just straight mileage, 25 miles a day, two months just to get to Jerusalem. He's come there to worship. And he's apparently interested enough that he has purchased a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which would have included other parts of the Old Testament as well, but it at least includes Isaiah. Now, this was unusual. It was unusual, unusual in part because of the great cost, the amount of money it would have cost for him to purchase this scroll for his own private use. It was not a common thing uh, because not, you would have had to pay quite a bit of money for a private copy of the Bible. In this man, this foreigner, this eunuch, previously unwelcomed, it's, it's this man who is now welcomed by Jesus into the church with great joy. Now, this is where the passage ends. The eunuch is traveling along, and at the end of the story, he's been baptized, and he's going on his way with great joy because he's been welcomed into the people of God. The question for us that Luke answers is how? How does this come about that Jesus is at work welcoming the previously unwelcomed? And we see three things, three ways in which this is happening, uh, both in our passage and for us today. Uh, first, we see that Jesus is welcoming the previously unwelcome by leading you to opportunities for witness, by leading us to opportunities for witness. Uh, notice just the beginning and the end of this passage. This passage is full of God's sovereignly leading his people where he wants them to go. Notice verse 26. It's an angel of the Lord who brings Philip, who says to Philip, get up, rise, and go uh, toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then in the middle, the Spirit says to Philip, go over, join this chariot. And then at the very end, the, Spilips, the, the Spirit rather somehow whisks Philip away. It's not entirely clear how this works, but somehow the Spirit moves Philip from this road where he is with the Ethiopian into a totally different city. The Spirit is leading Philip each step along the way. It's a passage full of the Lord's leading. Now, you might think, I mean, just put yourself in Philip's shoes for a minute. Think about where he's been. He's been in Samaria. He's been preaching the good news about Jesus. There's been this mass conversion and this kind of interesting interaction with this magician. But this, there's like fruitful ministry going on in Samaria. The Holy Spirit is at work. He's drawing Samaritans into the church. And all of a sudden, the Spirit's like, hey, get up, get out of here, go. Uh, not only that, go to a place that's described as a desert going from this densely populated area to this place where, uh, who are you going to run into? Maybe some bandits? It's not entirely clear that there's going to be anybody there. But Philip obeys. 
But notice, notice how Luke is communicating this obedience here. Angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go. Notice the next verse, 27. What did Philip do? He rose and went. The Spirit is leading. Philip is obeying. The Spirit is leading Philip into these opportunities for witness. Why? Why is the Spirit doing this? Why is he saying, go from Samaria. There's plenty of work to do in Samaria. Help these people learn what it means to follow Jesus. Why take him from there to this desert road where he has no idea who he's going to encounter, has no idea what's going to be there? Why do that? Because Jesus is welcoming people who were previously unwelcome, and the Lord is leading him into this opportunity for witness. Now think about our situation today. Um, Should you expect a voice from heaven? Get up, go. It's an old joke among friends of mine who uh, went to Columbia Bible College uh, near where I grew up. It's a a strong school for for missions. Uh, They've trained lots and lots of folks who've gone out from there and served in, in missions all over the world. Uh, for many, many years, and I had a friend who went there when I was in college, and she uh, often joked that some students would, you know, kind of climb up in a tree in the courtyard, and as other students would walk by, they'd say, go to Africa. <laughs> a voice from heaven. Uh, and that was just a joke. It wasn't really God speaking to them. Uh, should we expect a voice from heaven? Go to Africa. Go wherever, wherever you may uh, want to go, <laughs> wherever the Lord may lead. No, not necessarily. Um, God doesn't speak in these kind of ways anymore. He he speaks to us through his word, uh, through spiritual wisdom of others leading us. We shouldn't um, somehow think that just because there's not a voice from heaven or a vision, uh, an infallible vision given to us, that God's not leading us, that God's not speaking to us and prompting us. Rather, what we need is to have this perspective of faith. That wherever the Lord has you, he is leading you. He has placed you there. Perhaps he's putting some burden on your heart to go somewhere else. To take the good news of Jesus with you there. Wherever it is, the Lord will lead you. And and we do well to follow the, the model of Philip here. Rise up and go. He rose up and went. But most of the time, it's much more ordinary uh, than that. The Lord has you where you are. The Lord brings into your sphere of influence people that he wants you to talk to, people with whom you can develop relationships, family members, friends, coworkers. And and if we enter into those situations with this perspective, uh, then the Lord will use you. He will lead you into opportunities to bear witness to the good news of the welcome of Jesus. Who, Who is in your path? Who is in your life? Who among you needs to know the welcome of Christ? The Lord leads us to opportunities for witness. But not only that, he, as he leads us, brings people into our paths, he points us to Jesus as he is revealed in the scriptures. This is an amazing story. It's it's an exciting story of this man's encounter with Christ and Philip's witness to him. I mean, you couldn't have asked for an easier situation if you were Philip, Uh, certainly easier than Simon the magician in Samaria. Philip goes to this desert road. There's a chariot with a eunuch described in great detail uh, sitting upon the chariot. 
He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit says to Philip, go over and join that chariot. So Philip runs. It's, it's an interesting description. He just goes. You know, he doesn't even think about it. Uh, he runs over to the chariot and he hears the eunuch. And what's he doing? He's in traditional fashion. He's reading out loud from this portion of the book of Isaiah. And, and what part of Isaiah is he reading? He's reading the song of the suffering servant from Isaiah 53. This incredibly rich passage in Isaiah that Jesus himself adopted as he described his own ministry as the Son of Man, saying that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to suffer, to give his life as a ransom for many. This was core to Jesus' understanding of his own mission as the Messiah, because he's the one Isaiah is talking about. So Philip runs up, hears the eunuch reading this out loud, and he just asks him, do you understand what you're reading? He's reading, he's reading God's word, which is powerful, and Philip just asks this simple question, just opens the door, do you understand what you're reading? And he, ex he, he expects a, a negative answer. He, he anticipates that the Ethiopian does not understand. He's a seeker, but he's got questions He's got things that he doesn't quite get about what the Bible says. And so the Ethiopian says, well, no, I, how can I unless someone guides me? And Philip here serves the role that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would serve uh, when he was with his disciples before he went to the cross. And he promised the Holy Spirit and he said the Holy Spirit will come and the Holy Spirit will guide you, same word, guide you into all truth. Now, how does the Holy Spirit do that? He does it through God's people understanding the Bible and helping others to understand it as well. It's as simple as, as that. Philip says, do you understand it? He says, no, I don't. And so Philip starts to explain it to him. Who is this one that the prophet is speaking about? Is he talking about himself? Or is he talking about somebody else? And Philip says, in essence, great question. Let's talk about that. Who is this one who is portrayed as suffering for the sake of others? Who is this one who gives his life for the healing of our wounds caused by sin? Who is the one who is given in the place of the sheep who have gone astray? Who is this one on whom all of our iniquities have been laid? Philip says it's Jesus. But notice that Luke tells us he didn't stop there. Rather, beginning with the scripture, he, with that scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus. In other words, Philip had way more to say than just from Isaiah. Perhaps he told him about the promise in Genesis of the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent and ultimately bring redemption to God's people. Perhaps he told him of the seed of Abraham the one through whom all of the promises given to Abraham would come, the promised Messiah. Perhaps he told him of Jesus, the one who is like the bronze serpent lifted in the wilderness so that all who look to him would be saved, an image Jesus himself uses with Nicodemus. Perhaps he told him about Jesus, the Passover lamb, who had been given in our place as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. Certainly he told him about Jesus, the righteous one who suffered for the unrighteous and the one in whom all 
sins can be forgiven for those who trust in him. Beginning with this scripture, Philip led him to Jesus. Here's the thing. You don't need to know every answer to every question that somebody asks you about Jesus or about the Bible. You don't have to have a ready defense for everything that you come upon. You simply need to be a follower of Jesus who knows the Bible enough to be able to point to Jesus in it and ask questions and see what questions other people have. You may run into people who are seeking the Lord and they just need you to direct them where they ought to go. Maybe you have friends who have questions about the Bible. Maybe they've been reading the Bible and they they can't quite figure it out because they're missing the very thing that unlocks the Bible, Jesus himself. The Holy Spirit leads us to opportunities for witness. And the power of that witness is not your ability to reason well. It's not your ability to speak with eloquence, with beauty, with sophistication, the power of that witness is pointing to Christ as he is revealed in the scriptures, the one crucified for us, the one risen from the dead for us, the one in whom all sins are forgiven and all hope is found. How is Jesus welcoming the previously unwelcomed? By pointing us to himself as he is revealed in the Bible. And then finally, he does it by giving us courage to open our mouths There's an interesting play on words. It's probably not a hugely significant part of the passage, but it's at least interesting. The eunuch is reading from this part of the scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah's prophecy about the suffering servant, and he describes the servant as one like a sheep who's led to slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent. He did not open his mouth. It's a description of Jesus humbling himself as he went to the cross. He didn't revile his accusers. He, he, he certainly didn't resist what they were doing. He submitted himself to go all the way to the cross. And Isaiah describes it in terms of keeping his mouth closed. He did not open his mouth so that he would go willingly to the cross to die for our sins and to rise again from the dead. But then notice after the eunuch asked Philip his question, Luke tells us in verse 35, Philip opened his mouth. It's the same words. It's, it's a stark uh, contrast. It's an interesting wordplay. Jesus kept his mouth closed as he went to the cross to accomplish our redemption. And then he calls his people to open their mouths when they're given the opportunity to explain who he is, to talk about who he is and what he has done for us. What's the point here? The point is not that Jesus doesn't speak anymore. Of course, he he speaks to us through his word. Jesus is not silent. The point is that he is revealing himself. He is showing himself, rather, to other people through your witness, through your opening your mouth, pointing back to the word where he speaks with authority. Jesus is showing himself to others through us. And we, like Philip, must be faithful in taking those opportunities to open our mouths and to talk about him. But we need courage to do that. And we're not alone. Paul himself, at the end of Ephesians 6, asked the church in Ephesus, pray for me. Pray for me that I would have courage to open my mouth, to declare the mysteries of God revealed in Jesus Christ. We need courage to do that. 
to take those opportunities to open our mouths to speak about Jesus. And I think we can see from this interaction between Philip and the eunuch, you just never know what God will do. You never know how God will use you, how he will act in a certain situation. When you step out in faith, you find an opportunity. Somebody's got a question. Somebody's struggling. Somebody's suffering. And you show up at just the right time because the Holy Spirit has led you there. And you've got the Bible in your heart. Maybe you've got it in your hands and you can point to Jesus there. And in that moment when the Holy Spirit gives you courage, you can open your mouth and not fear what will happen because the Lord will use you to bear witness to him, to point others to Christ, because Jesus is at work in you and through you, welcoming the previously unwelcomed. And that's the good news. It was the good news for the eunuch. As they were traveling on, he sees water, and he says, what prevents me from being baptized? Lots of things prevented him from entering into the temple, the, the place where God said, I'll meet with my people, and he couldn't go in. But nothing kept him from being baptized. Because in Jesus, his sins were forgiven. In Jesus, the prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled in him that the eunuch would not say, I'm like a dry tree. But the eunuch would say, the Lord has made me rich in spiritual blessings, has given me a name better than sons and daughters, an everlasting name. Because what's important for the eunuch is not the ability to reproduce physically, but rather the receiving of spiritual life and the ability now to give that to others. There was nothing that would hinder the Ethiopian eunuch now from being baptized and being welcomed into the people of God, though he had been previously unwelcomed, because Christ has done it all. His righteousness covers our unrighteousness. His death covers over all of our sins so that we can be forgiven and the very thing that has kept us cut off from God, our sin, is put away at the cross, and in the resurrection, we are welcomed, though previously unwelcomed. Jesus is welcoming the previously unwelcoming, um, unwelcomed by leading us into opportunities, by pointing to himself in the scriptures, and by giving you courage to open your mouth to talk about him. So if you know the welcome of Jesus in the gospel, what should you do? Look for those opportunities. Where has the Lord placed you? Around whom has the Lord placed you? Know Jesus revealed in the scriptures so that you can point others to him and ask the Lord for courage so that you can participate in Jesus' work of welcoming the previously unwelcomed. And if you don't know the welcome of Jesus, if you've not been brought in through faith in his name, know that Jesus is seeking you. He is actively at work by his Holy Spirit, through his people, to bring you in, that you would know the Father's welcome through the Son and the power of his Holy Spirit. He's done it all. Come to him.